everyone. This is Nick Castle, better known as The Shape. And you are listening to the Nightmare Junkhead Podcast. And Greg, I'm right out your window. in and out of your consciousness like a bad dream you can't wake from this is the nightmare junkhead podcast a horror podcast that knows and appreciates the difference between a girl and a ghoul my name is greg d i'm genius mcgee and on today's episode we're delving even deeper into the mouth of march madness as we welcome the classic horrors club and the damn fine cast as they help us break down the surviving horror classics from our 1979 bracket but before we get into that, let me remind you we're part of the Boom Howdy Podcast Network. Boom Howdy. You can find all of our episodes at boomhowdy.com, or the easiest way to listen in is to simply search for Nightmare Junkhead in your iTunes or SoundCloud app, hit subscribe, and when we drop our latest episode, it'll download directly to your listening device of choice. All up in your disco hole. And if you are out on the social media, don't forget you can follow our social shenanigans. On Twitter, you can find us at Nightmare Junk, and on Facebook at Nightmare Junkhead. Mm-hmm. And it's truly important to make sure you're on the social media this time of the year with us because that is where you will find our brackets for Into the Mouth of March Madness. How are you going to play along if you don't follow along? So. And make sure you're continuing to send those in with, and as always, show your work. Show your work. How do you, how do you, how does your film mm-hmm. ultimately win Into the Mouth of March Madness 2019 version? And here we are now into the round of the Scream 16. Yes, whittling them down. And as we move forward. Like a good banjo. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Look at our fingers. We got blisters. <laughs> no, but as we move forward, unfortunately, we do have to say goodbye to a few films. And we're saying goodbye, pouring a few out, if we will, mm-hmm. to some films I'm shocked didn't actually make it into the round of the Scream 16. Right. But 70s is always hard to like say goodbye to them. So especially like I'm championing one of them. But... Oh, multiple ones on yeah. this one. Uh, but we are saying goodbye to two masters work here. Mm-hmm. Of course, David Cronenberg's The Brood. Not quite Don't Dream It, but almost. <laughs> watch out for snowsuits. <laughs> and, and goblins. And Lucio Fulci's Zombie 2. Mm, they're going to eat you. And the other one that did not make it through here is uh, Tourist Trap. Right, with Yuck Connors. Yuck Connors. Yuck Connors. And one of our favorites, of course. Dun, 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 dun. Another Italian goodie, The Visitor. That movie is grand. <laughs> grand. We are here to talk and celebrate the films that did move forward yes. to the round of the Scream 16. And at this point, our third year in, if it's 19, if it's in the 70s, if it's the round of the Scream 16, this is our chance to, to add a little class mm-hmm. to the podcast, because God knows we need it. I mean... <laughs> it's going to be a real classy affair. So who did you invite this year, then? <laughs> well, <laughs> you're going to ruin the surprise. you got to wait for the intro. It's not going to be on the... You know, it's like, no, actually, technically, it won't be on the title of the, uh, the episode. Mm-hmm. No, no. But obviously, if it's the 70s, uh, we're going to get classy. And by classy, we are, of course, getting classy with the Classic Horrors Club podcast, Please welcome back in true 70s fashion, Jeff Owens, Richard Chamberlain. Thank you for so much for taking the time for doing mm-hmm. this. How are you guys? We're great. Thank you for having us back. Yep. Look forward to it every year. And, and uh, as you mentioned, it's not May. It's true. <laughs> this time. Yeah. We are learning from our mistakes. I was thinking, I don't remember, you know, navigating ice and snow to get to your house. So. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Having to put on the snowshoes and get the Sherpa. I think <laughs> yeah, we were in shorts and shirts at that point. Uh, before we get into the madness of 79, please tell our listeners where can they find you all out on the social media. Please plug and promote away. 
Well, I think the best place is on Facebook. We have a Facebook group page, the Classic Horrors Club Podcast. Uh, that's the best thing. That's news and uh, events that are happening with us. We notify people what movies we're going to be discussing and get some discussion there from the listeners. So that, that's the best place to spring into all the other social media outlets. Well, and we've got our individual uh, blogs. I've got uh, caseycinephile.com where I talk about every type of movie. And then if you're just interested in the horror flicks, go to monstermoviekid.wordpress.com. <laughs> Perfect. Yep. And my blog is classichorrors.club. Well, and here recently, uh, some of the films, uh, obviously, you do a lot of reviews for Boom Howdy. And Boom we talk- Howdy. <laughs> it's, just, it's like Pavlovian, isn't it? <laughs> uh, but we were talking off mic initially, uh, your experiences at Panic Fest. Um, and one of the films that, unfortunately, we're not talking about, but I know you both had the experience to see, was Zombie 2. And you mentioned that maybe 4K wasn't the best way to see that one? Some movies just need a little grit and grime and dirt or they just don't have the same effect going through the 4k restoration and fortunately the imperfections of the day really were front and center and i think being a smaller theater you're really getting close up and you know up close and personal with the film which is great but you know that that's just not really the the you know jugular vein gushing mm-hmm. out blood and it's not really you see the makeup not quite hitting the hairline so yeah it's it, it was a little disappointing the movie and the music and everything is still awesome but I don't know that it needed a a, a 4K big screen presentation. What was the uh, crowd experience like? Oh, I was it? just going to say, Adam got up and introduced it, and there were a lot of people that hadn't seen it before but had heard about its reputation and they wanted That's to watch mm-hmm. it. And again, with the 4K, I think it elicited more laughs than yeah. like, screams or squirms. It did. Uh, there was laughter. But yeah. no matter uh, what definition you put it in, the eyeball scene stands up. There's yeah. uh, you could no see diminishing that. Yeah, everybody was squirming at that point. Everyone who's seen it and not seen it, so... There was, there was still that. Well, it's funny. I came in probably about halfway through. I was grabbing some stuff, and I, I, I was just in time for the kind of famous zombie rising from the ground with a, the, uh, everything uh, in the eyes. Yeah. And it's still, still people did react to that, and that was fun. That was that, that scene still worked. Um, underwater shark. Th- there was that, yeah. and then the scene right before the underwater <laughs> shark. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm going scuba diving. That, that I, neither one of us remembered it, but the audience was just cracking up at that. As mm-hmm. it's like, okay, Mr. Cameraman, it's like, move, pan to the left, pan to the left. Right. Nope, nope, okay, we're still there. You can hear Fulci screaming, no, keep it on the boom. <laughs> no, well, you want to see the, we want to see the breasts, the breasts. Go, go, go swimming, go swimming. And even underwater, breasts. You know? But it was kind of nice, though, to see representation from the year of 1979 still mm-hmm. showing up in a modern film oh, festival. Yeah. I guess, again, showing the powers of these movies. We're talking about 40 years later and we so going from again we're talking a lot about a film that didn't make it into the round of the screen 16 here <laughs> it's just the power of zombie here but let's go ahead um before we get into the madness again we always like to bring in little elements of the other people's podcast and again one of the things i when you guys you you bring in elements of the year the movie was released so we do have a few things that were that happened in 1979 in the year of in the world of pop culture i thought you're gonna say in the year of our lord <laughs> in the year of our lord 1979 <laughs> different podcast we'll get to that eventually <laughs> But a young upstart by the name of Michael Jackson released an album called Off the Wall mm-hmm. in 79, which you may have heard of him. He, you know, had a few things that happened in the 1980s. Yeah. And it's really funny. I don't think some of our younger listeners really can appreciate the power of Michael Jackson and just how in 
just how incredible he was back in the day before he kind of became a punchline. Yep. It's, it's kind of a shame, but that's where it started. And then also something tied a little bit more into horror. Um, and obviously there's been movies built around this, but uh, Three Mile Island happened oh, yeah. in 79 uh. as well. Which again, ask your folks or your grandparents, I guess, on some of that. Or that awful Wolverine Origins movie. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> which I probably the less said about that, the better. Yep. But that, 19- that's horror in itself. But 1979 gave us some wonderful films. And four of them that we're going to be talking about here. We've got two going head to head here. Mm-hmm. We've got, and really two masters for the most part as well. But uh, surviving into the round of the Scream 16, our first matchup here, we have Toby, Tobey Hooper <laughs> yep. going up against Don Coscarelli as in Salem's Lot versus Phantasm. So, gentlemen, uh, you know, guess first, which one shall we talk about first? Why don't we go with Salem's Lot? Let us start with All Salem's right. Lot. Um, I guess initially, how should we... I, first and foremost, by any chance, who saw this during, and we can't even say original theatrical run, right? but who saw this on TV? I did. I did too. Yeah. Ah. Experiences. Experiences. Tell us what it was like. I, well, don't, I don't remember watching it originally, but I remember the hype around it. I had read the book and was looking forward to it and watched it on its original run. I remember watching it on television because my sister, who is a lot older than I am, she was already into Stephen King. And so she was, you know, saying, you've got to read this. You've got to read Carrie. You've got to read Salem's Lot. You're going to love this. And yeah, I was just at that point where I was really getting into reading paperbacks and I loved Salem's Lot. And so, yeah, you know, plus I recognized David Soul because I loved Starsky and Hutch and he was just coming off of that run. And the trailer showed a lot of other people that I was watching in television, so I was immediately drawn to it. And I remember, I I think that I watched it with my parents. My mom was never really a fan of that stuff. My dad was, because my dad would watch Creature Features with me on Saturday mm-hmm. night. So, you know, I remember my dad enjoying it. My mom was probably just, you know, zoning out and reading a magazine or something, so... But yeah, fond memories of it, actually. I and mean, this was really right before Stephen King really hit, like really hit be- and became just basically weaved within the DNA of popular culture. Yeah, He was still kind of just a kind of... Young King. Of- yeah, the, the Young King. There yeah. we go. Yeah. Well, and this movie was really only the second big production uh, after Carrie. And it was on TV, of course, versus theaters. But I forgot how early it was like you said i mean this was the second time a book was adapted into some type of visual medium and you mentioned kind of the hype behind of it behind it and yet you remember at this point and it's in, i think in context that's the most the biggest thing to remember in 79 still no internet mm-hmm. you still had four you know cha- channels if you were lucky yeah. um you know if you went to the uhf side you know then maybe <laughs> a few extra mores on there but your options were limited and when something like this came along though it's a pretty big freaking deal well, made-for-television movies were huge in the 70s and 80s. And so, I mean, that's people forget that. It was like Tuesday nights, Wednesday nights. You know, CBS and ABC especially, they were cranking out good stuff. And that's where miniseries especially were huge. And they were always adaptations of books and recognizable cast. And for better or for worse, you know, it, it, I, yeah, that's there's a lot of good stuff that came out on television in the 70s, made-for-TV movies. So. And when I say hype, I don't know really what I'm talking about. I mean, at that time, it would have been maybe a TV Guide article and something <laughs> the, the in this thing. The little ad on the to... page of the TV Guide yeah. was all the hype you needed, right? <laughs> that was legit. That's and the legit little, hype. And the Friday synopsis night. box that gave you the prolonged synopsis, that was all you needed. Yeah, it got an up-close profile that yes, week. Yes, yes. <laughs> 
and then Friday night, eight o'clock. But and also let's not forget Lance Kerwin was a teen idol at that time, and I was probably just a little bit about past that stage. And was James at sixteen before? Because he had some sense of notoriety before he did Salem's Lot. It was so, sort of a big deal among my age that Lance Kerwin was in it. About that same time, yeah. Yeah, and plus, I mean, like I said, I recognize some of the other casts too. The uh, I'm trying to, I can't even think I can name. Well, any now of there's that. a lot of well, now Bonnie Bedelia. Yeah, yeah. young. She young was Bonnie. young, but there was um, oh, the one the the Jeffrey cemetery. Lewis. Yeah, that's what I was thinking of Jeffrey Lewis. Well, whenever he shows up, I'm I'm just almost like Pavlovly and Boom Ho- Boom Howdy over there. I'm just waiting for him to like book her a fight for Philo Beto, and then have an orangutan come in and then argue with his mother. You know, well, and see that was what the year before was the first Any Which Way But Loose came out. That so yeah, so he, he was recognizable and. Uh, Fred, Fred Willard, Willard. Fred, Fred Willard. Willard. <laughs> and then the other gal who played Fred Willard's secretary. I don't know who, who she was, but I know that I'd seen her in other things as well. So, and you had those wonderful late seventies disco shorts that just really stood out for <laughs> and the hair, those wedge haircuts. Yes, yeah. we, we all we all had them. We all had them. It was kind of. A, I have uh, never had a wedge haircut. Uh, <laughs> I have never had enough hair to do that. <laughs> Keep, keep dreaming. We can make it happen. We can make it happen. Well, as you mentioned, though, there is a very colorful cast of characters in this. Um, ultimately, let me ask you this. And this is something that, when you know, look, we actually, I got a bootleg copy of the International Cut. Got it at a convention. Uh, but we had the chance also, then, of course, to watch the three-hour cut. Have you had a chance to watch either or? Well, I watched both okay. over the years. Okay. I, I, remember, you know, I've, I have the miniseries. Well, I mean, yeah, minus the, you know... Yester last time on Salem's Lot Part One, but mm-hmm. uh, and I did see the the European cut um, probably twenty years ago. It played on television, mm-hmm. um, and I remember why. Because you know we were before we were recording, we were talking about. I started watching it, and I'm like, I didn't know it was the cut version. And I'm like, oh, it seemed so choppy. Mm-hmm. And I, wait a minute, there's that that scene is missing, and this scene, and then I realized, wait, this is a condensed version, and. For me, the only way to go is the original miniseries. I think, yeah, yeah it, it has a few spots where it drags out a little bit, but it doesn't have the haphazard, you know, editing that the European cut has. I have never seen the international cut. So when you all watch the miniseries now, what form did you do? Blu-ray or? Blu-ray. Okay, mm-hmm. so I, I had it digitized from something I had rented the DVD at one time or something. And I thought they did a pretty good job of making it not feel like a miniseries. They sort of, sort of instead of the fade to blacks and comebacks, they kind of faded or crossed scenes, you know. But you could easily tell where part two started mm-hmm. because David Soul mm-hmm. comes in and talks to the drama coach. And he's like, so how's the book going? Are you still writing about the house? It was like a little recap. That yeah. was like, and they had oh, the yeah. same scene of his, of his Jeep riding into town that had happened in the first part. I was like... <laughs> You know, so okay, he's riding back into town. Like so. you said previously, yes, on Salem's yeah. Lot. <laughs> well, even watching it now, every time you would get kind of the that transition to the, 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 the commercials, you could still see it. But the one thing is, at least they uh, blended it well back. There was so, a little bit more care into mm-hmm. it than the international cut, where it's like, nope, let's just cut, just kind of precariously, and yeah. what you get is what you get. But ultimately, I think when it comes down to it, is we have a made-for-TV film going up against a theatrical film. Bottom line, is Salem's Lot scary? Absolutely. I think yeah. so. I think by old school standards, you mm-hmm. know, I mean, that's, it's, would that, if you would have taken that and put it in a theater in 1979, would it have held up? I think it would have been maybe a little more quaint because it didn't have the, the, the level of 
blood and gore that you were starting to get in films mm-hmm. like we got in Phantasm, for example. So I would slightly disagree because I think nothing stacks up to the, the children floating outside the window and just yeah. That stands up. Those practical effects are amazing. Oh, I yeah. Didn't see a wire, the way the fog and they float in. It's, well, I, I think the, the practical effects in this hold up far better than all of those Stephen King movies that came out in the 90s with the early video effects that Mm -hmm. are horrible. And and you can't even watch them today. We're looking Mm -hmm. at you, the Langoliers. Yes, exactly. (laughs) I think it would still hold up because, like you said, it's still genuinely scary. But like you said, it's old school scary. And I think if that's what you're looking for, because it's got like the fog and the swamp and the old creepy house and like that old school... Even back in the 70s, it's still you could see the influences from the Bela Lugosi era. Oh, yeah. And I, I think that makes it scary. And like you said, that fucking kid <laughs> still haunts my dreams. We said this on this election episode, but if I hear rapping at yeah. the window, in my heart of hearts, I know it's that fucking vampire kid so that's the scene i remembered and i always remembered in my head that he was like rapping but he's not he's just like gently mm-hmm. scratching on the window i want to know why creepier. everyone in town has windows that open up so <laughs> yes, freaking yes. wide <laughs> it's enough this window's enough for and a body to float into and nobody closes their blinds i'm sorry after i saw the kid the first time the blinds <laughs> are going closed but yet lance Kerwin goes back to bed Facing the window, granted, a wise precaution, mm-hmm. I would have closed the blinds and <laughs> slept on the couch. Well, well, how cool is that, though? He's a he's a monster kid. He's yep, one of yeah, us. I mean, exactly. He's got yeah, Frankenstein yeah. exactly. and Wolfman posters, and he's you know he's all on top of that. Okay, I'm I, watching that whole scene, and I'm like, I want that. Yes, I want that. Mm-hmm, I want that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. If you did a commentary, that's exactly what you'd all of a sudden start focusing on. <laughs> well, we were kind of thinking, like you said, he is one of us. He's yeah. our Google Gobble. He is the he's kind of the the surrogate that we see ourselves through. It's Greg Nicotero origins. Yeah, yeah. yeah the Tommy because, Jarvis like, origins. E- even the dad was like, "When are you going to grow out of this? You know, this you're playing with monsters and shit. This is stupid." And like, he's the only one that has enough knowledge and foresight to say, "Hey, it's fucking vampires." Because when the rapping kid comes up, they did it three times, <laughs> and the only time that it didn't end up horribly bad <laughs> was with the monster kid. Because he's like, "Nope." <laughs> and, and and what happened to mom and dad later on in the movie? Right? I mean, <laughs> exactly. It's like it, I think Barlow was actually a big wrestling fan because he straight up double noggin knocker. Oh ba- yeah, Bam Bam yeah. Barlow just. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure the way they filmed that though those heads actually touched, touched. It was, right but, it was like shoulder to yeah. temple oh. <laughs> uh, well we were even talking um, just the way he was designed Barlow himself kind of even the relationship between um, him and Straker you know with James Mason just James hamming Mason. it up and, and that's the other thing too the cast of this it's Bow actually to the master yes <laughs> and I also forget kind of not necessarily how influential this particular film is because it is really kind of channeling a lot of like hammer stuff but even its relation to one of my all-time favorite horror films uh, Fright Night how much really Fright Night really kind of also took from Salem's Lot as well yeah I can see that yeah and it wasn't until this time that because like at the house with the stained glass windows and stuff is like almost the same house in Fright Night. Well, and the and fact that you've got them, they Stri- come into town, mm-hmm. they buy the, the the house, and Stryker is uh, Barlow's Billy. 
from <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if Barlow's Jerry Danger, Striker's just <laughs> Billy because he's his familiar and he's his ghoul, you know, with the superhuman strength. Well, every... he's, he's chewing up the scenery every oh, time. Yeah. He's, he's just like the line yeah. is like, you know, Mr. Barlow's going to enjoy you and you'll enjoy him. And... <laughs> <laughs> but down your cross, shaman. Uh, yes, uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> he calls him a goddamn shaman. <laughs> I like to think that was improvised. It was like, uh, uh, Toby, I'm going to add this one. Just go with me. See what you like. Yep. And that's the other thing as well. This is a Toby Hooper jam. I forgot that, honestly. That's... When his name popped up, I was like, oh, I forget that this mm-hmm. is Toby Hooper. Everyone forgets that this is Toby Hooper, much like everyone forgets that Poltergeist is Toby Hooper. And listen, I know the argument. I know all of that. But listen, on it is directed by Toby Hooper. There is so much more that people forget that he is so much more than the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, much like with Romero is so much more than his zombie films. Yeah. You know? I don't know how much he plays into considering this, though, in this tournament, because it, he doesn't, there's not of his style, really. I mean, there's one scene where the camera was kind of moving and panning, and I thought, oh, there's Toby Hooper. But, you know, mostly this didn't represent his work, I don't think. Maybe restricted by TV? Possibly the limitations, yeah. And I mean, maybe that's why, like, we, oh, yeah, it's Toby Hooper, you know? I wonder, was he hired just for the name recognition a little bit at the time so that you could hire, did they they use him in any of the advertising? I don't think so. Well, because he was coming straight off of Chainsaw. Oh, no, they would have been eaten alive, actually. Eaten alive, yeah. Which is one of the movies that scares the shit out of me. That movie is terrifying. But anyway... (laughs) I mean, there's some, I don't know, I think he crafted some well-done scares. You know, uh, well, there was some yeah. good atmosphere about it. I think the vampires are still scary in this movie. And that's mm-hmm. one thing that if you can, because, you know, especially nowadays with Twilight, um, you have the vampire itself isn't necessarily a scary being the way it was back in the day. You know, I don't know if it's necessarily the glitter effect, but, you know, these vampires, when you are vampires, you legit look oh, scary. There's some great scenes. The rocking chair scene. When yes. You're in that room, and when they're crawling out of the... Uh, At the very end, the yes. The very end, the whatever you call it. The, 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 uh, the easement crawl space. Or crawl space, yeah. The dungeon. Yeah. <laughs> no attention to your current surroundings <laughs> or or look behind you I, no say, I want to know what's on the other side of that the right now vampires <laughs> so final thoughts before we transition over into phantasm regarding salem's lot you know i loved i loved it it had been a while since i'd seen it um i think it it clearly still stands up today mm. i think it's it's a great film and honestly i think it's one of stephen king's best adaptations i know he didn't have anything to do with it but a lot of things a lot of stephen king movies end up not looking anything like the original material they made some some changes granted but i think it's a really good adaptation of, of his work and you know i know we're not talking about the uh, the sequel or the <laughs> remake but you know, the I was reading, I had never seen the Rob Lowe version, and I'd never had a desire, and I I read the Wikipedia description of it. I still don't have a desire at all to see that. <laughs> they they made some drastic changes to that and just reminded me about how people, I don't think they pay a lot of respect to Stephen King sometimes. They take an idea, and they, they'll change it. Sometimes Stephen King likes the changes. He'll acknowledge, I think Salem's Lot is, is perfect the way it is with a few of the minor changes they did. I think it, it it holds up, and I think it's one of the best adaptations. I just want to add real quick, did anyone notice all the Psycho references once they got in the house? A couple throw, that I remember, on, like when um, 
when the doctor's going up the stairs, that looked very much like the shot in Psycho when he's going up the stairs. And then uh, they bang a hanging light and it swings back and forth. Oh, yeah. I I caught that. I liked that. I I didn't catch it, but that's, yeah, that's good. And I haven't watched this since we put it together in quite a long time, but that just shows you how much more... The older you get, the more films you see, the more rewarding these films become because they are layered. There's just Mm -hmm. so much going on with them. We noticed some uh, Texas Chainsaw references. They had uh, the truck driver that was bringing Marlowe was Sawyer Company. Sawyer Family moving. Oh, wow, yeah. Yeah. Like to think they're expanding beyond meats. (laughs) (laughs) And then when Stryker impales that guy on the rack, the doctor, that was the door from uh, the, the Chainsaw House. Oh wow! wow. Where, where yeah. With all the uh, antlers and stuff on it, and of yeah. course, Lost Boys, you know, cribbing that kill as well oh, in '87. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It turns out. So, from a vampire film to a film that is uh, phantasmagorical, <laughs> it is. Yeah, it, it's uh, it, it's it's phantasm. It's it's the film that spawned the phrase. Well, that's a Coscarellian film, <laughs> and then you go, oh, okay, I get what you mean by that. Um, so that being said, you guys remember your first interactions with phantasm. I do. I it was junior high, and what do you do on a Friday night? You go to the theater, oh, and uh, that's how I remember seeing Carrie. But uh, this one was at a different theater than I usually went to. It was at the video. <laughs> the, the, the one on the other side of town. <laughs> we didn't have that in Union, Oklahoma. Uh, this was at the Video Twin, and I, you know, the audience. You talk about the shared experience of going to the movie. This really detracted because it was a you know teenage crowd oh, no. screaming and laughing and I to be honest I have never even in subsequent viewings really found it as scary as I did last night sitting watching it by myself in you know where I live it uh, it just it, it had a, a, a more personal effect for me but I remember fondly being in there and and you know people giggling and laughing and, and raising heck. I honestly did not see this film until about 2007. Um, I couldn't go to the R-rated films because my mom and dad wouldn't let me see those vile things. And it didn't play like on HBO, you know, where I saw all my other films in the in the 80s. I mean, like the Friday the 13th, the Nightmares and all those. So I didn't uh, watch this until it was talked about on a podcast I was listening to, like in the early days of podcasting. 2007-ish. I can't even remember the name of it now. It's long gone, but Phantasm was the movie of the week, and I was like, I went out and bought the DVD, and I'm like, I like this, and then I found two and three and four and wondered (laughs) what was going on and still don't know what's going on. (laughs) So for me, I was, you know, it's been only, you know, roughly, you know, what, 12 years, give or take. So what... The thing that I remember, of course, was the sphere. And every subsequent Mm -hmm. watching, I'm reminded, oh, that's only in there in, you know, one and a half scenes, basically. But that was, maybe they used that in the advertising, the TV ads, I'm not sure what. But that, every time I watch it, I forget. But that's not really the primary. (laughs) No. Even the kind of, even the the tall man, you know, he's really, for the most part, much like those. He's just a small section. He's always on the peripheral. However, that influence is kind of felt throughout. Yeah, I remember the Jawas. (laughs) <laughs> Those always got me. And though, again, that's only a little very small part of it. So. Uh-huh. 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 so what is the main part then? I mean, it's a movie composed of all these little parts. I think ultimately, and it's I think it was a few viewings ago that it finally hit me, but it's just a, it's a boy's transition in dealing with growing older and looking ba- and saying goodbye to his childhood and looking forward to like adult 
transitional responsibilities and it's just becoming a man in many ways it's that, weird i'm sorry but he had a really fucked up puberty then if that's, his, yeah, if that's his yeah, transition into manhood keep me a 12 year old kid i'm <laughs> watching his like people turn into the tall man you know every time he goes on the dates he's got like oh i can't do it you know just whew. but see you're breaking it down all scientific i broke it down like on the last show yeah. like an ice cream man fiddles demonic de- little demons while an old man plays with, and a kid plays with an old man in his balls <laughs> so like the- well i like where you took that greg but i i guess i didn't dig as deep i mean to me it's just about grief you know he's mm-hmm. dying he's grieving over his parents being lost and uh, but yeah, that's part of it for well, sure. Well, and that's well, we've always talked about the subjectivity of everything. It's it's what you bring bring yourself into. It's like sure. every film I look at now, I'm like, oh, that's dealing with trauma. And what happens if you don't deal with trauma? But that's and what over I, there, more balls. <laughs> <laughs> But also, like you said, it has that sense. It, it kind of carries a reputation. You know, it is that film that has the spheres. It has Angus Grimm as just an icon. But it also kind of had the fact that it's maintained a franchise that we got a new one. Yeah. But, you know, two, three years ago, Ravager, granted, you know, we, ha- we had a shared experience with that one. But yeah. we'll that. Your miles may vary on that. <laughs> but I, it's, it seems like the most unlikely a film to spawn a franchise. But I think also, more importantly, that even if, and we'll get into the argument later, but even without the franchise, I think this film is pretty revolutionary because it almost feels like an American, not a Jallo, but just kind of American gelato film. You know, it just has that nightmare, a gelato. A nightmarish <laughs> other world. Gelato. Yeah, <laughs> but it doesn't have to have necessarily a strong narrative structure, but it has these really weird nightmarish set pieces that, like you say, kind of maybe connect everything together. Maybe I've just seen it too much, but it doesn't seem that far out to me. I mean, yeah, it's a sci-fi concept, but basically aliens come here, they squeeze down bodies to make slaves <laughs> on their planet. I mean, right. that's we... very simple. I mean, there, there's, well, but, you know, going on the nightmare theme, I, I actually thought of Carnival of Souls. When I was watching this, because, you know, where things are in that movie are just a little off kilter, Mm -hmm. yet you're seeing, you know, it's, well, it could be reality, but is it, you know, it's just the characters are just a little off and everything's just a little off. And there's just certain, you know, like when the the tall man is walking down and he stops in front of the ice cream truck Uh, and just... You know, uh, let's that, yeah. you know, cold felt, you know, smell, whatever he was getting off of it. He was enjoying it. And it, just little things like that that are just like a little off kilter. You know, it's like how often and maybe I'm opening a can of worms, but how often do you get invited to a cemetery by a hot blonde chick? <laughs> I don't think I ever have, and I've done some crazy stuff, but I don't know. That's on my bucket list one of these days. But but then as soon as I go, do go to the cemetery, assume. yeah, I'm like, oh, Switch things are great. Room. And the next thing, bored, you know, I'm like, ah, man. And I don't know how long you want to think about that. Flash of a beautiful blonde, flash of a beautiful blonde, flash of tall man. Right? I mean, Angus um, Scrim. <laughs> well, you're talking about puberty earlier. I just had the visions, you know, it's like, you know, he's he's having fun with relations and all of a sudden, you know, at the window, boy. Like, <laughs> His voice changes. So I was thinking, boy, you know, like, whoa. <laughs> Get an Angus Scrim job. Ah. <laughs> uh. Uh, well, yeah, it's 30 minutes uh, in. And we, uh, I said we were 
we're going to try cemetery. to keep it classy here, right. man. Good Lord, have mercy. <laughs> this is the... M- it's phantasm. It's what the fuck. I mean, anything goes in phantasm. If that, if that phrase doesn't scare I mean, you... you're already dead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think ultimately uh, there is also the score of it is phenomenal as well. Oh, yeah. uh, Salem's Lot has, has another really good one. Um, but yeah, no, it's just it's a film that <laughs> remains fun as nightmarish as it is and all the, the you, so weird yeah it's that's so weird i don't think you could show this to a normie well no and that's why i think ultimately you were talking jeff that you, you you've seen this enough times it's not necessarily nightmarish but this is one that you do throw to a normie they're looking at you like what are we watching yeah because right. first and foremost it does feel like a 79 film which i that for me is a compliment though yeah you know and everything in this this year still has that veneer and feel of a 70s film and for me just well, adds to the goodness. It's, you don't get a definitive ending. You don't get any clear-cut <laughs> no, answers. No. And they don't, certainly don't come in two, three, four, or five either. Right. So, <laughs> And I think that's part of the, the fun of it. Sometimes you don't need that. Sometimes yeah. you can just you know enjoy it for what it is. And for me, I think that it, it definitely holds up. Having not seen it you know, until so many years later, but I was aware of it, I heard of it. And it's a fun franchise. I mean, it, it started off a bizarre franchise, but... And certainly has its highs and lows. But, I mean, as you said, we had a sequel just a few years ago. That says a lot. Mm-hmm. It, it has staying power. Jeff, what is your feelings on the franchise? I, You know, I haven't seen some of the sequels. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't... I told Richard earlier, I'm not big on sequels that go straight to video. So I haven't seen a lot of these. I just, I have a predisposed notion that they're of a lesser quality, which I know is not <laughs> fair, you- but I have that... Did two come out to in the theaters? Or that yeah, two, two was in the theaters. The three and four were, were direct, and then five had the limited release. So, which yeah. we did see theatrically. Yes, we, we did. Too. Yes. We saw yes. that one there. It was good. No, so as you know, let's just face it: as good as both of these films are, only one can advance. And in order to make sure we are not, you know, being biased or anything, we have two criteria that we're going to look at here in the round of the Scream Sixteen. Uh, the first criteria we we're going to look at, and of course, we got to make sure we offer our guests this. Uh, but we are going to, of course, ask which of the two films are closer to your hearts, closer to the heart. A little bit better on the falsetto as we go along there. there. And then the second criteria we're going to look at is we're going to ask, if you took either of these films away, which one would leave 1979 poor? So let us go ahead and start. Uh, Jeff, which of the two films, Phantasm or Salem's Lot, which of the two are closer to your heart? I'd have to say Phantasm because of that distinctive memory of watching it in the theater the first time. That's... Yeah. Again, that's... I'm trying to imagine... Even like some of the classic horror films seen at the first time in the theater, a lot of them, they follow a pattern, but that one just doesn't. So just going on that journey, that totally makes sense. Richard? I'd have to go with Salem's Lot because I, having seen that in 79 and not seeing Phantasm until so many years later, I mean, it's still, and it still holds up for me. So makes sense. Yeah. Makes sense. Genius. Um, I'm going to have to go, I'm going to have to go Salem's Lot because for just closer to the heart, because I saw I had to reverse engineer Phantasm two to one, but I distinctly remember, and it's one of my strong fears of that one, <laughs> of the rapping. So for that one, I got to go closer to the heart. No, and uh, this is a tough one for me because I didn't see Phantasm in the theater. It was one of those, and like you said, I don't really remember it on HBO or cable all that often. So it was definitely a home video. But also, there's something about having that opportunity to see something on home video versus being in the home. 
So for me, you know, having grown up in a video store, thanks to my cousin, I've got to go Phantasm for just having that that communal moment of just taking it because literally this, the video store was down the street. So I would walk up there, get it, and then walk back home. So that one works for me. Phantasm closer to the heart. Now, the bigger question. Both of these films are important in the world of horror, especially in 79. But if you were to take one of them away, which one would leave 1979 poorer? Jeff, we're going to start with you. I'm going to say Salem's Lot because that was the really first big Stephen King miniseries. It was successful. Without that, who knows what would have come. And Phantasm, if you kind of categorize it as a weird, strange movie, <laughs> there were other weird, strange movies in 79. We had The Brood and Tourist Trap. Yeah, I know they didn't make it this far, but they were there in that year. So I think, you know, missing one strange, bizarre horror movie, I, I, I think, yeah, Salem's Lot. That works. Absolutely. I'm going to go with Salem's Lot as well. I think that uh, the fact that we're still talking about a made-for-TV movie so many years later, that just speaks volumes to me. And I think that, again, you know, it, it's so early on in, in Stephen King's career, and it was we saw so many made-for-TV movies in the 70s. Some were good. There's a lot we don't talk about. Salem's Lot stands the test of time, I think. Go. I'm going to go Phantasm. I think because... And, and I'm, I'm still trying to struggle with my decision right now because, like you said, you wouldn't have the Stephen King creativity going on the TV movie. But I think if we took it without that away, if we just took away Salem's Lot, you still have other Stephen King adaptations. But if you took away Phantasm, you took away a whole weird franchise, a whole iconic thing of the tall man, the balls, the Jawa. Even though put them together in a blender, you get this weird what the fuck mix. I think. <laughs> That sometimes is the perfect gelato that you're craving. <laughs> so I got to go Phantasm. For me, it comes down to representation of the filmmakers. Um, if you take Salem's a lot away from to Toby Hooper, we still have Texas Chainsaw Massacre. We still have Eaten Alive. We still have a lot of his films in the future. If you take away this film from Coscarelli, you, you've got Kenny and Company. You've got those films that, you know... <laughs> And, I, no, and that's not, that is not a shot at that, but you, you take away a film that was kind of the springboard into everything that was his future film work, and I'll be honest, um, a life without the Beastmaster <laughs> is a life not worth living, and without Phantasm, I don't think we have Beastmaster, so for me, um, you know, you've got to go with Phantasm. Now, that being said, we've got a tie here. Between our criteria, Ooh. which is, I think, the first time we've had that in 79. Now, ultimately, I'm going to ask you this. Of the two films, which one has your favorite score? Phantasm. Richard? Yeah, Phantasm. Genius? Yeah, Phantasm. And I don't know if that's fair, because Salem's Lot score is really good. Eh, not consistently, though. That's a note Ooh. I made. Is Ooh. It is good at times, but it's not always good at times. But Phantasm, for the, and anytime you can throw in a jam with an balding ice cream man. Yes. <laughs> so, and that be a scene. There was no musical scenes in Salem's Lot. <laughs> so it looks like a... Uh, there could have been, though. We could have got David Soul singing, Don't Give Up On Us. You know? The potential was there. Oh, or, oh. or Vampire Banjo Dog. <laughs> See, this is what, that's the only thing Salem's Lot was missing. Otherwise, it would go forward. But no, it looks like Barlow is taking a ball to the forehead and Phantasm is making its way into the Hateful Eight. So as we go into our last two films, now, 
these two films are you could probably not find a more kind of polar opposites no yeah tone setting demeanor um we have kind of a national phenomenon and the amityville horror versus the springboard into something bigger and broader uh alien which of the two shall we start and talk first I feel like we should kind of flip it and go Alien first. I mean, I have a lot more to say about that than Amityville Horror. I don't I know agree. about you guys. Yeah, let's go with yeah, Alien. Absolutely. Yeah. So open it up here for us, fellas. So I want to lead by saying I have let years and years of crappy sequels make me forget how good Alien is. And when I watched yeah. it today, in fact, for the first time, that is a damn near perfect movie. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> End of episode. Yeah. Thank you for listening. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've always said my favorite in the franchise is Aliens, and that's only because I saw it for the that was the first one I saw. But every time I watch Alien, it creeps up on my favorites. Eventually, I'm going to watch Alien at some point, and I'm going to go, "Oh yeah, that's now my favorite." And it, it's getting closer and closer. With this rewatch recently, you're just like, "My God, it's it's the perfect pseudo slasher." It's a haunted house in space. It's it's so tight. It's just it's a good movie. I think you can say that Alien and Aliens are the best in their respective genres because Alien is sci-fi horror, Aliens is sci-fi adventure. Yep. Um, definitely, you know, excellent, you know, together, but very different in tone. By any chance, did any of you get to see this one theatrically? Yes, I did. What was that? So I don't remember seeing it. Exactly, but I remember reading the novelization by Alan Dean Foster. I had I was the one in my family to go save seats for my sister's dance recital every year. So I, I was sitting on the front row, and it was hours ahead of time, of course, so we got good seats. And I was reading that book, and I jumped out of my seat in the scene when the egg opened. And that's reading a book, so imagine seeing that <laughs> on screen. Uh, but I oddly, I don't remember seeing it, the movie itself, although I know I did soon after that. I would have seen it on HBO. Uh, I saw Aliens in the theater, um, but I didn't see Alien in the theater. But I, I saw it numerous times on HBO. Did you see Aliens first or Alien first? I saw Alien first. Okay, okay. Yeah. So you came into it the, the right way. So I came to speak. into it the right way. Yeah, but yeah, I saw that on HBO numerous times because it played a lot late well, at night when I wasn't supposed to be watching it. <laughs> well, and that's I think the biggest thing is people forget first and foremost it is a horror film. It, oh yeah. It's, it's fucking terrifying. It's, it's scary. It's taut and it's tense. And also it establishes characters that you ultimately care for. And we have, if you look at the cast, I mean, this is probably, it's, I'm not going to say it's the best cast we have ever come across in our tournament, but damn, it's good. It's damn good. And I, as I was watching, I was thinking about that. And I was thinking you could criticize this movie maybe for character development. I mean, there's oh, not there's a lot no. of that injury. However... Each one of them sinks their teeth into it, and you watch their little tics and their mannerisms when they have their moment on screen. Mm -hmm. They are fully realized characters, whether it's written in the script or not, and I think that's fantastic. I I think they each have a moment that defines their character, and you know exactly who who they are without knowing any information about them personally. You know what role they're fitting in, in their personality, and I think that that says a lot to the to the scriptwriter. Yeah, definitely. Well, and that's uh, Dan O'Bannon, who mm-hmm. is throughout the horror genre and sci-fi yeah. or sci-fi horror. And he's one of those guys that actually is able to kind of mix and mash genres. Um, obviously, is the writer of Return of the Living Dead for horror comedy. And with this, just horror sci-fi, you know, the horror sci-fi thing, yeah, it's... it's wonderfully blended. And like I said, it's people always forget 
that it's just a, it's a scare and it's one alien legit i mean it's in the title well, it's, it's in the title and it's not an original idea because there's a 1950s movie was it, it the terror from beyond space that is essentially the same thing you know just 1950s mentality and and dumbed down a lot but it's the same thing it's a creature on a spaceship and you know one by one they seem to be dropping and that that's a great movie they took that idea and they cranked it to 11 you know yeah. they they turned it up a notch richard you ruined my joke i was going to end by saying <laughs> for an embellished remake of it the terror from beyond space eh, it's not bad <laughs> <laughs> sometimes sharing the notes is good sometimes yes. it's bad <laughs> well also just regarding the cast it's kind of nice to have a professional reactor veronica cartwright back in the tournament again and truly that i mean that's the one thing if you haven't seen alien you, you know, know alien, alien because of the scene. And that's one of the things. It's the scene. It's the one everyone knows. Still hold up for you guys in regards to the rewatch, even though you oh, know yeah. it's coming. Oh, yeah. absolutely. And and I just treasure the practical effects of it all, the, the texture that you yeah. can reach out yeah. and touch. There's only one, to me, weak scene in it. It's a scene looking out the windshield or whatever of one of the ships. There's a little like blue oh. line around the windows. Other than that, it's it's just perfect. and I think they fixed that in the director's cut because I had both on the Blu-ray I had a choice of which which to watch the theatrical or the the director's cut and I was like well okay, what's the difference and I read the difference and ultimately it goes back to where Ridley Scott says the original was nearly perfect in every way watch that so even he did wow. the director's cut years later and said no because all they did essentially was they they cut some scenes out and they put some scenes in. Uh, a few extra things here and there, but ultimately didn't really change anything. And so, you know, to hear the director say, yeah, well, I did a director's cut, but go back to the original. That's ultimately better. I don't remember the specifics of the director's cut. Is it a true director's cut or was it them just inserting deleted scenes back into it like so many quote, I think directors that's cuts just are? it because I remember there's a scene of Dallas and he's actually, you see him being cocooned. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so you, it gives you a little bit more finality of some of those characters, which I don't think you necessarily need, especially if this didn't do anything beyond Alien. I mean, it's still pretty goddamn good regardless. The ambiguity of some of the deaths and demises are all that you need. You know, uh, I think if they would have added the cocooning, it would have like uh okay you know i mean it's a powerful scene I've, i saw that rewatched it on the the uh extra features but yeah th- does it change anything in the movie no no the no. one thing i was afraid wasn't going to hold up and i had in my memory it's after the chest bursting scene when the little alien kind of scoots across the table mm-hmm. i thought i you know i was dreading that but it, i think it looks pretty good i it's not as bad as i remember because he scurries because he scurries, and that's the thing. If he, uh, although I have to say, subsequent vi- viewings, hello, my baby. That's what I'm thinking. That's what I'm thinking. But, I thought the same thing. Right? Mel Brooks ruins everything. Yeah, he does. I did the same. In fact, I'm pretty sure I probably reverse engineered and saw space balls before I had anything to do with aliens. <laughs> and you know, and that's just, but that tells you to the strength, though, the fact they had John Hurt. Reprises his role in Spaceballs for that fucking scene. Yeah, I mean, come yeah. on. That tells you how powerful this film is. Mm-hmm. Hell, we've been talking about the film so far. We haven't even really mentioned the Xenomorph. It's it's, it's not necessarily the star of the film, because I think with a lot of those films, it's not really in the movie all that much. Uh, you, you see it a lot more on, on the other films you know, than you do in the original. I think you forget that. It's like you saw just enough of it. Right. 
to to know that that's something you don't want to see in a dark alley in the shadows yes it, that's when it did all of its like and that's our go to our secret slasher thing and mm-hmm. has to use the shadows to its advantage and it did it so well and there's still no that crab scene. walking no there's still that scene when dallas gets his that's still one of my favorite jump scares of all time it's so effective it's so freaking good yeah, it's, it, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. And of course, Sigourney Weaver establishing herself and genre icon. Um, yeah, so so many good things. Um, other and thoughts Jonesy. on Alien and, and Jonesy. Jonesy. Of course, as, you know, <laughs> fans of cats as we are. Uh, final thoughts on Alien. I loved it. I it's, mean, yeah, I, I, I don't care how many times I see it. I, I just sit back and enjoy it. And and knowing that it, it, it you know, was the start of a franchise in which We've had highs, probably more lows than highs, <laughs> but it did give birth to Aliens, which is in itself different yet amazing, and to me, I think that elevates it even more. Yeah, I'm really glad that I had to watch it for this. I don't know if I would have, and I would still be living with memory of pre, you know, movies after that rather than the movie itself, and I am so glad I watched it because it is just perfect. Well, it's interesting you mentioned that, that the fact that, you know, when you do have a, a franchise, kind of like with Phantasm, how sometimes those sequels can have diminishing mm-hmm. returns, but also diminish the quality of the original right. and taint it almost. So it's that's the power of these rewatches as well to remind you and go, oh, yeah. And also just to show you that it's never too late to rewatch some of those films and recapture the magic, oh, yeah. which is the best part. Now, from from outer space I horror. Gonna, I thought you were going to say it's never too late to get nerdy about nostalgia. Oh, no, I'm not crossing the <laughs> yet. Not yet, not yet. But from the horrors of outer space to the horrors of home ownership to a film that, again, another one from, from book to screen, uh, went all over the place, but the Amityville Horror this is one we talked about it on last episode that was kind of a horror movie that I could share with my family. Yeah. Not necessarily a family friendly family family friendly Manson film. Family. But it's, you could show normies because it's a it's a it's a good normie horror movie. So what were your experiences with the Amityville horror? My mom read excerpts of this to me from the National Enquirer before it was a book. That's my first experience with there there was an ongoing series of articles before it became a book. Now, and wait a minute. You've always claimed that your parents, you know, were so I know. wouldn't let you. And that's your bedtime story? Yeah, I know. No horror, I, no horror. <laughs> yeah, you know, I can't explain because my, my mom was not into that, but she loved her National Enquirer. And so if it's in the National Enquirer, it's good. She And she would share with me all this this stuff. And, and of course, now when the movie came out, I couldn't see it, right? Because there's bad right. stuff in it. I mean, Enquiry minds want to know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that that was my first experience was hearing this story and then you know i would watch it on hbo you know again late at night mom and dad's gone i turned the dial on my black and white tv to unscramble the scrambled picture and watched it which is i i did that with 99 percent of the horror movies in the 80s and it worked back then um and that's one of my first experience watching it was on hbo you know i think I think it was the the thing. It had nudity in it, and you know, if it had nudity, then it was bad. I couldn't watch it, so I led a sheltered life. Well, it's funny you talk about the fact that it was in the Enquirer before it became a book. That's almost the equivalent of it was trending on Twitter at some point. Is it was in yeah. the popular consciousness without actually being there, and that's how it was established. That's where the word of mouth came from. That's mm-hmm. why you know you see those based on a true story. Yeah, it just adds that. Oh my God, what happened here? What about your first time? You know, I don't really remember. I remember the whole phenomenon of the Amityville Horror, and it was huge in the 70s. The whole occult thing, Mm -hmm. you know, and it, I I remember all of that. I don't really remember the movie. I think 
over time maybe it's faded simply because our our sensibilities have transitioned so far from that. I mean, now to us, a scary haunted house movie is paranormal activity, but I mean, we've probably even gone past that by now, but it, uh, I don't think it holds up really well at all. And this is one movie that I really do prefer the remake. I think it, in many, many ways, it's it's much better. And I just, we watched it recently for one of our podcasts recently mm-hmm. in the last year when Margot Kidder died. Mm-hmm. And just, I don't know, very disappointing. I does not hold up for me well. I still enjoy it. Um, I, you know, I think the fact that we know now that none yeah. of it is true, right? Mm-hmm. All of it was faked. And that, okay, you know, you, you watch this movie, but once you knew that it was based on a true story that really wasn't true, it knocked it down several notches for me. And I did not see the remake because it didn't, you know, I was like, ah, you know, the original was good enough. There wasn't enough about the remake that, that screamed, this is different. We want you to see this. Unlike, for example, I just watched the Pet Cemetery trailer a couple of days ago, and I'm like, they're they're taking that and they're turning it on its side, and I'm like, okay, I'm intrigued now. But originally, I thought, why? But they're doing something different, and that's I'm I'm beginning to feel that way with remakes. That unless you're doing something truly different, then then what's the point? Because if you're doing a shot for shot and you're just changing the cast and adding some new special effects, I'm going to go back to the original. You know, Unless you're going to do something different that makes yeah. sense, then I'm going to leave well enough alone. So I, that's what my thoughts were when I saw any, any trailers for the remake. Is like, it just didn't scream to me that this was something that was going to offer anything different about a story that, it, hello, it's fake. Well, does I, I have to say something really yeah, quick. Yeah. I did not know it was all fake. I was still under the inclination <laughs> oh that it was still based on a true story. Because like I'm still thinking you hear about that shit all the time based on a true story. And I'm like, okay, yeah, fucking, it's probably, yeah, it's going on. Down in Maine, I read a book about it. And so, like... Can I talk to you about Santa Claus <laughs> next? <laughs> hey, there's evil houses I've been in... <laughs> Punish. Right? <laughs> it was an insurance scam is what it was. Yeah. Holy shit, it was? Yeah. Yeah, um, it was just, they, they were in over their heads financially, and they came up with a, this crazy idea. A murder plot or something? With, well, to tie into the murder in the house mm-hmm. is a way of getting out of um, their obligations to the house. <laughs> the son admitted it years later i mean they some of them like I, still, some I of them it was said still an evil house i thought it's still on the market and people don't buy it because it's fucking evil no it, people it, have bought it and nothing's happened in it since the the lutz family left it doesn't look the same now they've changed the windows oh the see now gone. now see that's not cool had some eye work if done I, yeah you know, it's, uh, <laughs> if i bought the amityville house even if it wasn't anything fucking going on i would still want to keep that creepy jack-o'-lantern veneer on it you yeah, know what I'm it saying? doesn't even look the same oh anymore. that's horseshit well, that's, that's another thing. Again, if you've never seen Alien, you know Alien. If you've never seen Amityville, you, know you that still house. know Amityville. Yeah. Both of them feature iconic imagery, yet... With the perforated, ta- or the, the bifurcated tail coming out of the side of the house on the, on the book poster. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. It's, and like you said, though, when you get the veneer, that the fact that, oh, yeah, it really isn't necessarily based on a true story, yet it is, or this or that. My world has been shattered, man. <laughs> my world has been shattered. I'm, I'm so sorry. That rocked me to my core. You guys Greg are, and Post- I was, 
In post-production, you better insert a spoiler. I mean, <laughs> right? Because I was going to say, That's this is still a good haunted house movie. I really enjoyed it. Now it's like, man, fuck that. <laughs> but it is funny, though, the fact that this is a trope that you we still see to this day as the haunted house. Based on a true story. And yeah. especially based on the true story. It's just something, like yeah. you said, it just adds to that whole... To mystique. Yeah, well, you said like when uh, Paranormal Activity, when that came out, I mean, they were hyping that up, you know, it's like, okay, yeah, it's probably not real. Yeah, I get that. But I was able to immerse myself in the moment when I first saw that in the movie theater. And I was like, okay, you know, I'm just I'm going to go with it and just go with the moment and say, yes, this is this is real. You know, even though I knew that it wasn't, I, I immersed myself in it. I think people like us go in wanting to be scared. We want to be entertained. So anything that you can throw me like that in, I'll take it if it's going to enhance the experience. Well, look at 20 years in the future in the bracket, the yeah. Blair, Witch. Blair Witch. You know? I mean, I could have sworn that was based on a true story, too. <laughs> Are you going to tell me now what it was fake? Is that what you're going to do? I'm not going to say one word. <laughs> What's your middle name? Is gullible? <laughs> No, I I, mean, I knew the Blair Witch was fake, but I really didn't know that it was all a phony baloney scam. Hmm. And but, I just want to add also in the 70s, there were several good haunted house movies, but yeah. to me, the best was Burnt Offerings. Ooh. And it, it wasn't 79, it was three months earlier, but that also always overshadows Amityville Horror. I, I And that... Ultimately, that's the danger of this tournament is, again, excluding stuff, you know, maybe just because it has a bigger tie or bigger name. But that's also promote the stuff that if you didn't necessarily enjoy this, what would you do in lieu of that? So that's perfect. You know, here's my story on burnt offerings. I Channel 41. I just got to say, talking about editing back in the day, they, they would have movies right in, mm-hmm. in the weeknights and they were doing burnt offerings one night and I had seen it before. Well, of course, they would edit, you know, for extra commercials and they edit the end of the movie. It's like all of a sudden all the bricks are you know coming down and then they cut to the final scene where the house is new, cut out all of the the action and running out of the house just so they could get in an extra commercial. I remember it's like, good God, that's horrible. They had a good deal on the guy that edited Salem's Lot. So. <laughs> Apparently. And, and there's probably something stupid like the commercial was like, Ray Adams here <laughs> for Ray Adams for Toyota and Ford. Come on down right after the wrestling meet. And so like Getting very regional on right? that one there. I got to say, upon rewatching Amityville, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was still, it was still, there was some good tense moments for me of just actual scare and i also really appreciated the fact that it like not it originated but it strengthened the tropes that we still use today about the haunted house with the bleeding walls and the get out you know and all that making nun sick anytime you can make a nun sick that's funny. <laughs> That's a powerful juju right there. Just don't make a habit of it. Ah, bad habit. <laughs> bad habit. Well, here's something, that, here's something that may or may not be relevant, but who directed Amityville? Aha, uh-huh. see? Yeah, exactly. You know, Toby exactly. Hooper. Unless you go to... Ridley Scott. Yep. Um, wow. And Don Coscarelli. You know, Stuart but Rosenberg. Yeah, yeah. With was his AD Gildenkrantz? <laughs> <laughs> it's a peripheral tale. <laughs> no, so uh, again, you know, take it or leave it. Both of these films spawn franchises. Both of them we're still talking about here, but only ultimately one can make it to the round of the hateful eight. So we have Amityville horror going up against Alien, and again, we're going to look at the two criteria: which one is closer to your heart, and which one would leave 1979 poorer. So again, we're going to start out here. However, we're going to start with you, Rich. Mm. 
Which one of these two films are closer to your heart? This is tough because I have memories of Amityville Horror, yet Alien is so much better. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna go with. Uh, I'm gonna go with Alien. Simply because, I mean, it, it, it means more to me. But I do have fond memories of Amityville, so I, I will give it a, a shout-out for that. <laughs> Alien all the way for me. Enough said. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember where the first time I saw Alien. Because I just... I grown up with those iconic imagery and like kind of pieced together. And I, again, I reverse-engineered this. But I remember seeing Amityville... In my grandma's house on Friday night on Channel 5, because they showed it for Friday Fright Night. Friday Fright Night. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I remember the scene of when they Josh Brolin opens up the basement and the gates of hell were right there, that green light. James Brolin. James Brolin. Thanos dad. But, uh, <laughs> you youngsters. But, uh... <laughs> But I remember really being freaked out about it. So because of that, I'm going to give love to Amityville. Listen, um, I, I go back to my trailer uh, story from the first time. Again, seeing Alien piecemeal was so much better than actually sitting down to a family-friendly fam- family friendly film. I got to go with Alien, my connection to that. But this is what's old, the interesting question is, between the two, Alien and the Amityville Horror, if you took one of them away... Which one would leave 1979 poor? And again, Richard, we will start with you on this. Um, Alien. Okay. Definitely. And this, I'm not as confident about Alien as I was in the other category. I'm, I'm still saying Alien, but I think if you look at the other horror movies, this is the criteria I used for uh, the other ones. So, you know, they, we had The Brood, Dracula, Tourist Trap, When a Stranger Calls Zombie, all of those. Uh, there were other horror scary movies. There were no other horror sci-fi movies like Alien. So there was nothing else like it. There was the one and only yeah. Alien. I think without it, the year would have been poorer. You can take away Amityville and you still have great haunted house movies like Burn Offerings, like you said. You take away Aliens, you take away something truly magical. I have to go with aliens. Well, Star Wars, you know, brought brought sci-fi cool. Alien made it sci-fi Scary. horror, yeah. and and there's a lot of much lesser films, you know, in the '80s, but still they were inspired by Alien. Mm-hmm. You know, it could be you could be creepy, you could be scary in outer space. Yeah, and again, an instant icon with the xenomorph and with Ripley. Mm-hmm. You can't and you can't underestimate the importance of Ripley in the the female horror the female genre icon. I ultimately on the rare the rare chance that it was going to be a tie. My tie breaking question was going to be which one had the better franchise. Um, and listen, we can all you know argue <laughs> argue our love of Burt Young, you know Diane Franklin, what have you with Amityville. But yeah, the. Like them or love them. I'll even give love to Alien Resurrection. We were kind of talking about I'll a give bit love to Alien Resurrection beyond too. The, beyond the monstrosity at the end there. Fuck Prometheus. But yeah, I've, got, I've also got to go with Alien. And I guess in the round of the Hateful Eight, no one can hear you scream. Nope. And by account of. Alien made Amityville get out. <laughs> <laughs> so going up in the round of the Hateful Eight, we do have. Phantasm going up against Alien. Wow. To represent 1979 in the round of the Frightful Four. Hmm. What kind of journey will happen? I can only imagine. But the journey itself so far has been wonderful. You guys, thank you again. As Mm -hmm. always, 
the conversation off mic, on mic, you know, what continues from there. Um, ultimately, I don't know if it would be for the podcast. I'd be having the chance to talk with you guys. And that's something ultimately as well that I like to, you know, kind of promote with the pot with this is just the chance to, you know, meet new people and break. It's just like it's a good thing. So thank you guys for doing this. I want to say we should do this more than once a year. But, I, yes, you know, yes. it's just so special. I don't want to tarnish that at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then, of course, the best time is just when we're out and about and we get to see each other out in the film community. Absolutely. And it's, yeah. always j- enjoying the films as they deserve to be seen in the theatrical experience. Yeah. <laughs> he, he's not the best color man on the mic. No, no, like, no, it's been, uh, no, seriously, this was a lot of fun. I always look forward to doing the March Madness with you guys. Yeah, this has been a lot of fun. So I, I maybe, are you doing this in 1980? Or are we continuing the journey? Technically, we are saying goodbye to the 1970s. Yeah, because next year, we're looking at, technically, it's 1980, mm-hmm. 1990, 2020, 10. Wow. wow. Yeah, which wow. we're still going to be reliving the 80s because, honestly, everything in 1980 still reeks of the Feels 1970s. 70s. Yeah. <laughs> well, count us in. I think I don't think that eliminates us just because of the year. No, absolutely. No, you know, no, 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 no. Honestly, it wouldn't be March Madness or Mar- Into the Mouth of March Madness without you guys. I mean, we, we just did It's Alive 3, which is late 80s. So I think we're good for the 80s. <laughs> yes, yes. We yeah, will, if we, you can do It's Alive 3. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> so until that time, you guys, make sure you're checking out the Classic Horror Club podcast. And when we return, we are going to be looking at Phantasm and Alien. We are going to be joined by our brother from across. Across the ocean there, Tony Giles from the Damn Fine cast. Again, thank you guys so much for doing this. So, uh, Genius, final thoughts? Uh, I'm ready to be afraid of some xenomorphs and just like, ooh, hopefully they won't play with the bold man's balls too much. <laughs> we will be back. <laughs> play a good game, boy. <laughs> And we are back, and as we go from the round of the Scream 16 into the round of the Hateful Eight, let us again thank Jeff and Richard from the Classic Horrors Club podcast, Mm -hmm. and let us say goodbye, adios, farewell, and adieu to both Salem's Lot and the Amityville Horror. But you know what? Get out. As we as we say goodbye to those, we say hello to our next guest and our next round of films because he is going to be helping us break down to see who goes into the round of the Frightful Four. Mm-hmm. And you know our next guest as the mastermind behind the Damn Fine Network. He is the scion of soundtracks. He is the wizard of wax. Please welcome back to Nightmare Junkhead, Tony Giles. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know where to begin. I don't. I don't even know where to start. But thank you, thank you for inviting me back. It's it's always fun to to chat with you guys and to and to take part. So uh, yeah. Well, cool. I figure if we're going from the blade into the seventies, I figure <laughs> that's a nice, easy transition there. Uh, but before right. we before we truly get to the madness, uh, please tell our listeners where can they find you out on the social media. Please plug and promote away. Um, the social media, if you would like to listen to a relatively okay soundtrack podcast, <laughs> you can check me out or check out the Damn Fine cast, which is part of the Damn Fine Network, imaginatively titled, I know. <laughs> um, this is a somewhat weekly soundtrack podcast with a focus on vinyl. Um, soundtracks from all genres, uh, we try and, and hit as many bases as we can, but the Damn Fine Network does have a dedicated horror soundtrack podcast which is now hosted by um jay blake fashara the the author behind the excellent book scored to death i'm super stoked that 
that Blake is now part of the DFN. You can also listen to Alfonso's Music Cabinet, which focuses on kind of, you know, your library music, Italian stuff, some exotica. Um, DJ Alfonso really does do uh, some truly amazing stuff. And, and at the moment, Valingo or Aaron Valing, he does a synthwave show. He's taken a short break. He just got married, mm-hmm. so congratulations to him. Um, but he will be back hopefully at some point. But there is plenty of content on the Damn Fine Network, and you can find that on iTunes, Libsyn, Stitcher, you know, wherever good podcasts are found. Except SoundCloud. Fuck SoundCloud. <laughs> can't find us there. Well, other, than that, other than that, you can find us pretty much. The Into the Mouth of March Madness. Burning bridges and making friends. Right. I love it. I love it. Not brought to you by SoundCloud. Here's the thing with SoundCloud, right? So SoundCloud, our first platform was SoundCloud. When the DFC started, back when it was called the DFP, um, Scott and I, we really did not know what we were doing about actually hosting the podcast. Where, where does a podcast go? Yeah. And we, it was around the same time that SoundCloud had started doing podcast hosting. So we went on to SoundCloud, and then it was literally almost from the get-go. Is SoundCloud going to last another week? Oh. Is it all going to get taken down? Is the content going to disappear? Yep. And then after a while, I mean, it's still going today. It is. I, I foolishly, when the DFC went from being a <laughs> Patreon-based show, when it went back to being free for everybody, I thought, I'm going to start up the SoundCloud again. And the listenership was literally nil. It, it got to the point where I was like, this is just a, a waste of money. So I stopped doing it. But I'm still constantly reading things of, yeah, <laughs> SoundCloud might go under this week. And it's like, well, this has been four years now. Is it going away? Is it not? Make up your fucking mind. So... <laughs> Yeah. Ever edging closer there. For um, those listeners who are yeah. listening on SoundCloud, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you're listening on SoundCloud, we're pretty pleased to have you with us. <laughs> the views of Tony Giles and the damn podcast <laughs> are not real. Representing yeah. Nightmare Junket or its affiliates. <laughs> well, and it's it's one of those things, like I said, I'm, I'd love to have you on because you are part of my weekly rotation, um, the various episodes of the damn fine uh, network. But ultimately, it's kind of sad because the damn fine cast itself, it's 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 got a it's got an end coming up doesn't it yeah yeah i um i just you know what it is i just fucking hate people and soundtracks <laughs> no i'm joking i'm joking <laughs> so, the, the, i i i'm a firm believer in all good things must come to an end nothing can last forever and i would rather finish the dfc while i still have a passion for doing the podcast i mean my passion for film music i don't think is ever going to wane but actually producing the show putting the show together i mean you guys know that there is a lot goes into making a podcast it's not just two guys sitting in front of a microphone and hitting record there is there is time effort editing there's lots of things that go into making a podcast and making one not necessarily one that you want to be successful, but one that you need to be happy with. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And there's a certain level of quality that I try and maintain with the DFC. You know, I want the records to sound good. I want to listen to the show and, and you know, the levels not be all over the place. I want to <laughs> listen back to it. Not that I ever really do, but on the occasions that I have listened back, I've always thought, well, you know, it actually sounded pretty good. And I'd rather still have that passion for doing that then starting to let things slip where I'm like, yeah, I don't really care as much anymore. And coming up in October this year, we'll probably hit episode 150, whenever that is. And I figured that was a nice round number 
finish while I'm still happy with the show, while I'm still passionate about it. And hopefully, and I, I've said this many times, and I do hope for this, hopefully somebody else will create their own soundtrack podcast. Yeah. There have been others since the DFC has started, and there were podcasts before focusing on film music. But I hope somebody picks up the mantle and, and does what we did, play records, talk about film music, and just, you know, hopefully that passion comes across in the same way that it hopefully does from the DFC. Well, I'm glad to see that people are committing themselves to putting out quality product. Yeah. And then when the fire is gone, you know what? Let's move on to something else. Yeah. And yeah. ultimately, you know, you just put out a po an episode of the Please Advise, a vinyl mm -hmm. podcast. Can you tell us a little bit about that one? Yeah. So Please Advise is I primarily most folk will know me as a, a soundtrack person. I work for a soundtrack record label. I talk about soundtracks all the time on the DFC. <laughs> but my, my real passion is just for records and vinyl and, and music and music on vinyl. Um, and I thought I've never actually done a podcast where I just talk about records and talk about records <coughs> that other people own um, with, you know, talking about record collections and mm -hmm. people's stereos and things like that. And it, it's it's going to have a limited audience. I understand that not everybody wants to know what's in someone's record collection, but the fact is, I do. And <laughs> I just so happen to have a podcast network. So I was like, ah, <laughs> maybe, maybe there's something to this. So the pilot episode went up a couple of weeks ago, and that was just literally me answering some questions about my own record collecting habits, what's in my collection. And the first episode proper will probably be out by the time this episode goes out. And that features the author, Andrew Cartmel, who wrote the Vinyl Detective series. Uh, it's a wonderful interview, if I do say so myself. <laughs> Andrew's a very, very cool guy. Um, he was the showrunner on Doctor Who for a long time. He's, nice. a, he's a legit fastest guy. And he's episode one. The um, musician Mortis is going to be episode three, uh, episode two, sorry, but it's completely different. You know, he's never spoken about his record collecting before. So that's what I'm hoping to bring is people that you may be aware of, but showing you a side of them that you just don't know. So that's kind of the idea behind doing the Please Advise show. That's super rad. I, we were talking a little bit genius and I last night, just how there's so many like little niche areas in the podcasting mm -hmm. world and how you've got so many people that are kind of scratching, you know, these yeah. niches for the most part. So I love the fact that we've got something like that where people can then go on and go, oh, yeah, by the way, here's a nerd out. Just geek out. There's yeah. just something about when you get to be, be that passionate and genuine and just unfiltered. Mm -hmm. There's something lovely about that. I, I think there's like if, if I and I, I watch a lot of documentaries and sometimes I'll watch something that I have no real interest in. But if it's put forward with real passion and real heart. It will suck you in, regardless mm -hmm, of what mm -hmm. it is, if you're not a fan of the, the subject matter. But if it's a story told well, yes. well, that's just a great story. So hopefully, you know, maybe we'll hit some people that aren't really vinyl fans or into record collecting. But, you know, they may get something from the show, whether it's a recommendation or whether it spurs them to go and dig out that turntable they've got in their <laughs> attic. You know, that's if that happens, great. You know, if, if it doesn't, it's no big deal. But. You never know with podcasts. And like you said, there is literally podcasts for everything these days. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's it's crazy. The the you just type anything into the search bar and hey, there's a podcast for it. So 
yeah, I figured I, I, there wasn't a podcast with people talking about their record collection. So, hey, I'm just going to steal that idea. <laughs> Strike while the iron is hot. Mm-hmm. Well, ultimately, it's as much as we like talking soundtracks, the podcast, all this and that, we are here for a reason. We're here to go mad. And in the round of The Hateful Eight, we have two films that have survived from eight to two. And we have two shining examples of horror from 79 that I'm really anxious to talk about, especially knowing (laughs) that there's going to be some animosity here eventually, which I cannot wait. So ultimately, we have uh, Ridley Scott's Alien and Don Coscarelli's Phantasm. Guess first here, Tony, which one should we talk about first? Um. Oh, this is a tough one. This is a tough one because because out of these two films, there's one one of these films that I absolutely adore to uh, an unbelievable level. And you know, we're talking the soundtrack, the many different iterations of the DVD, books, and this and that, and just I'm such a huge fan. And then the other one is Phantasm. <laughs> so, I don't, you know, I don't really mind which way you want to go. If you want to talk about the good first, we can start with Alien, or we can start with Phantasm. I don't know. I'm easy. I, you know, what do we, what do we say there, uh, genius? Should we go, boy? Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> the bracket is about to begin, sir. <laughs> <laughs> so no, I'm. I, let's go ahead and start with Phantasm because I will say this: this is one that I've always been a big fan of. Mm-hmm. I just wrongly assumed that it was universally beloved so <laughs> are you coming out the gate i fucking can't stand Fanta- well we know where your vote lies on this one so <laughs> that's well, awesome. so, so yeah what what was it what did phantasm do yeah. to you tony <laughs> where did, did phantasm touch you dude oh, God. Okay. So, so phantasm i'll be 100 honest i didn't see phantasm till i was maybe 35 Oh, wow. I just never, I'd seen pieces of it throughout the years, but nothing had ever compelled me to sit down and watch Phantasm. I was very aware of the tall man and the shiny ball and all of that stuff. I just, there was something about it that I was just not compelled to watch. I don't know what it is. And then when I actually sat down and watched the film, I just thought, I don't understand what all the fuss is. Now, (laughs) this could have been because I didn't see it at an early age. Mm -hmm. It could have been that by the time I'd actually watched Phantasm, which was only, you know, five, six years ago, I'd seen so many other things that it wasn't, it didn't appear to be particularly original or, you know, edgy in any way you know i will say the one thing i actually love about phantasm is actually its score i think it's an Mm -hmm. unbelievable score but i I think maybe i just saw it too late and this does happen sometimes you know i showed my wife um the first halloween movie Uh oh and she just you know she just she didn't think anything of it and halloween is my favorite movie right she just you know she found it she found it kind of slow and she just thought, you know, I, I understand why people like it, but it's just, it's not for me. Mm-hmm. And I kind of, it's the same thing with Phantasm. I appreciate it, Angus Scrim, brilliant in the film. Um, fucking love Reggie because you can't <laughs> not, you know, it is mm-hmm. what it is. But as a, as a film, just doesn't do it for me. Well, and then it's weird to see, like you said on the other side, when your wife was saying, like, she can see how people, are, you can appreciate it, but yeah. see how, like, it's slow. The same thing. It's like, I can see how, you know, I love the movie, but I can see how yeah. people would not like it because it's yeah. so 
what the it's, fuck it's yeah, so like yeah. odd and weird and like you said time also does play an issue if after you've seen something that's a classic and you haven't seen it but everything before after it you've seen you know so yeah. no i can see where you're coming from with that because it's weird as shit it, it, it is it's a weird film and it's i don't think that phantasm is helped by its inferior sequence uh, yeah, yeah that that's the other thing like the diminishing I, returns in a, for a very brief time, Scott and I, the original producer of the DFC, we were doing uh, commentary tracks for movies just just for fun. And I'd never seen Phantasm 2. So one day he sat <laughs> me down and my commentary on the film was as I was watching it for the first time. <laughs> and I thought Phantasm 2 was a comedy, which it's... threw me because the first one is just this batshit weirdo film. And, you know we know what happened with the phantasm franchise and oh. stuff so <laughs> uh, you know I, I i don't i understand why people love it i am assuming genius is a big fan but i don't know maybe i need to watch it again i don't know i i think ultimately you hit something on the head this is one of those films because it came out in 79 because it has such a legacy just kind of built around it took you know a year to make they shot it forever uh, very independent filmmaking you mm -hmm. know um and that's what i think with coscarelli doesn't get enough credit for as an independent filmmaker but ultimately i can see if this is something that if you don't get in on early it is because it is just so the nightmare logic. Yeah. It doesn't make a lot of sense. And I've if always, it doesn't grab you, it's not gonna. No, no, this is no, totally. No. This is one of those I get if you don't like, right? Because I've always kind of seen Phantasm as kind of an American Jallo, in how it's shot, the sense of kind of mystery, just that style, almost over, the style over substance, almost. Right. Um, and I think you see some some seeds planted with Coscarelli because we always joke on the podcast. If you can joke that something is very Coscarelli-ish, yeah, you know what you're getting. It's going to be weird, yeah. right? You yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, any everywhere from like the Beastmaster to Bubba Hotep to um, John dies at the end. I liked John dies at the end, but I mean, I also liked Phantasm. Like you said, it's 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 so weird, but it also can be so like beautiful mm -hmm. you know like the scene where he's walking down the hallway and the balls are about to fly there's like some genuine like woof you know but yeah trying to explain it to like somebody on paper and then like they're like what there's like evil little people and then there's like balls and flying around and the guy's like an ice cream man is that what's going on you know it's yeah. It's, well, when it's you, weird. When you describe it, it sounds like a fever dream. Yeah. So then when you put it in practice and you go, no, it's literally as we just said. <laughs> yeah. Of course, people are going to go, yay, or oh, I'm not really sure on that one. Um, and, and here's the, the thing as well. I still don't understand the point of phantasm. It's, I, I, we, I don't, you know, I know the film ended. It's, and <laughs> I, I know it has a sequel, but I, I don't understand. Like, I understand the point of Michael Myers in Halloween. I understand Jason, I understand Freddy, I understand the fucking shark in Jaws. <laughs> I still don't have a clue what Phantasm is. Yeah, it's this weird 90-minute movie, and then it finishes. And then you're like, oh, okay. I think it's a weird <laughs> rumination on um, outsourcing labor and you know, the <laughs> issues associated with it, you know, when you got to actually bring in other people to help you put together, you know, your, your yeah. hellish dimension yeah. world. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, I, maybe so. The, is the you don't go to OSHA. You come to us. You know, like 
<laughs> and a bunch of like, yeah, and like the weird weapons at the tall man's disposal between the Jawas and the balls, and like, yeah, none of it makes a lick of fucking sense even to this day. Well, and it's really funny. We had a chance. Um, it's kind of lore tasty on the podcast of hosting. Did you now? Since you're not a fan, did you ever go about <laughs> to see the last Phantasm, uh, Phantasm Ravager? I haven't. No, okay. I actually, I'll, I'll be honest and say I've only ever seen the first two. Oh no, that's I love two. Two is great, right. but two was funny. It, it, <laughs> well, and it in both of these, what's interesting is both the films we're going to talk about. The first ones, because they both spawn franchises, the mm. first one is definitely horror. Then the sequel is more action oriented as well. So there's oh, definitely yeah. some weird yeah. connective tissue there. And then with three and up, it goes off the and then rails. It goes off rails. Well, we we hosted a screening of Ravager when it initially <laughs> was went theatrical, and we were all excited for it because it's the new Phantasm sure. movie. And oh man, so it runs <laughs> and the uh. credits roll and everyone's still in the seat and there's there's just a little bit of a beat and then sure enough, boo. <laughs> I've never heard anybody boo an actual movie in the theater before until Phantasm Ravenger. And the funny wow. thing is because everybody was waiting for like the post credit stinger or something because yeah. like it ended weird. It was supposed to be the last movie, but it never explained nothing. So like... <laughs> It goes on and like, okay, maybe there's like, you know, the Marvel stinger that everybody's used to now, right? So let's see if it's there. Nothing. Darkness. <laughs> silence. Beat. <laughs> boo. Oh, and and we, we're on we're on stage and we're like, uh, oh. thanks for coming out. Yeah, <laughs> you know, so we we I'm glad we didn't pass out like silver balls beforehand because they would have totally been boo. thrown at us. <laughs> One would just drill right into my head. <laughs> you played a good game, boy. <laughs> <laughs> in lieu of tomatoes and produce, yeah, that's always always a, a crapshoot when you do something like that. Well, let's obviously, again, we've got one film here that has a little bit of love, but let's go ahead and transition over to our other film that we're talking about here. Uh, another one that, this is a film that I always feel bad talking about because, man, it's been... You know, people have written dissertations mm -hmm. built around this, but Ridley Scott right. Alien. Tony, what's your experience, background with Alien? Um, Alien, I saw Aliens first, uh, yeah, which yep. I think probably, mm -hmm. I mean, most people my age, I'm, I'm yep. 40 yep. now, so when Aliens <laughs> came yep. out, I would have been, you know, when did it come out, 87, 86, 86 like I believe. 86, so I would have been like 8, 9, so the, mm -hmm. I remember being like seeing the ads in the newspaper and stuff like that and thinking, oh, what's Aliens? <laughs> Even though I wasn't. You know, I wasn't a horror fan, and the Xenomorph was definitely horrific images. I'd read that it was like an action movie, and I was huge into Robocop, Predator, Conan, you know, Stallone. Loved all that stuff. So the, the idea of, like, you know, people shooting aliens with these giant fucking guns. Right? <laughs> I'm, like, I am all for it. So I remember seeing aliens first and then really just loving the James Cameron of it all. And then shortly after, it wasn't... It wasn't a massively long time after that I did see Alien, but I remember Alien really creeping me out. And it was because it was completely different. The whole tone, even though at that age I didn't understand how films could be tonally different, it just made me feel a different way. And I think that's part of why I still love it now, is yeah. the film is so incredibly creepy mm -hmm. that it, it preys on the, the what's not there kind of a thing. And, and, you know, that's why it still works for me today. I can't watch it in a lit room. I have The room has to be dark. Yep. And the TV has to be super loud. 
and I, it still works for me. 40 years on, it's actually still working. I, and the, to me, it is a film that just oozes atmosphere, mm-hmm. isolation, and, ice, oh, and scariness. We've talked about it as a, like a pseudo slasher, um, right, where right. the xenomorph itself is a Michael Myers, but also that then the Nostromo itself is kind of like a haunted house. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's yeah. just so many cool elements that you find in this. And like I said, it's something that I know Genius and myself, we both also reverse engineered. Yeah, came from Aliens first, and then like, oh, okay, so... And like you said, there's such a stark contrast between the action and the horror. And I've gotten to the point now where the more I watch Alien, just the more it creeps up on overtaking eventually Aliens as my favorite. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, and I, it's weird that that happens because I, I think a lot of it comes down to what you see first that it you yeah know, plants that seed firmly in your heart. But man. I've grown to love so much more about Alien, and I think it's because of my love of horror, and just also to see how hugely influential oh, yeah. this film is, um, going from all the way from like the production design to the, to the strength of the friggin' cast. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah I'm, there's, a, there's a lot to be said for the actors that are in that film, because, I mean, back then at the time, maybe John Hurt was the most... Maybe John Hurt, maybe Tom Skerritt, like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it's hard to... Back in 79, I don't know who was the most popular actor in that film. It weren't fucking Sigourney Weaver. I'll no, tell you that yeah, much. No. I know that. So, but you look back at it now, everybody in that film, somebody. everybody yeah. is somebody. <laughs> Whereas you look at Phantasm and you're like, okay, yeah. fair enough. Yeah. That happened. So it's, <laughs> you know, I, I don't, it's hard putting these two films together actually, because even though Alien was not, alien when it was being made it took many years for it to become alien and ridley scott was not sir ridley scott there's still (laughs) two very contrasting films and also i think ultimately two interesting examples of what you could find in 79 Mm -hmm. going all the way from outer space to and actually alien and phantasm could have been a first round matchup for again the whole terror from above or beyond oh yeah because they are these Uh, the dimensions and and space almost like existential dread as well because Mm -hmm. you know i I there is that but like you look at the tagline for alien in space (laughs) no one can hear you scream like it Whoever thought that up, or wherever that came from, Jesus fucking Christ! It's it, it's you scientifically know, like, accurate, right? Yeah, it's just you know, it's it does not get like how many other taglines like the night he came home, yep. just when you thought it was safe to go back in the water. Like, I can't remember a tagline from a film that I watched three days ago. Yeah, I still remember all this stuff from 40 years ago. So, it's, you know. was, there a t- was there a tagline from Phantasm? If this one doesn't scare you, you're already dead. Yep. See, that, I was going to say that that's in a itself is pretty fucking cool. That's a, that's a great tagline when you're talking tagline. Like, Phantasm. If we're going tagline to tagline, that's again, that's a hard thing because that's a great tagline. Well, and then looking at the strength of the cast, it's kind of crazy because they're all wonderful character actors, Mm -hmm. Um, and especially like Yafet Koto and uh, Harry Dean Stanton. Those two characters, I think ultimately, every time I watch it, I identify them with a little bit more because they're all about just, they're there to do the job, let's Mm -hmm. do what we need to do, let's get home. You know, that's and that's probably the most frustrating thing when watching this and realizing the character's demise that ultimately man they were just put in the path of just fodder yeah and it doesn't matter like it's all about and this is another one talk about uh uh, outsourcing work and what have you just being at the mercy 
of these corporate overload or oh, rewards. Yeah. You know, your life means nothing. You are nothing but a stat into creating this perfect, you know, finding this perfect life form. There's so many things that, you know, the alien itself can represent, but then also just the corporation that puts them in harm's way. You know, there's there's actually, I think, a lot going on with this movie beyond just the simple scares. Mm-hmm. And right. I think that's yeah. why you can kind of elevate a film like Alien for the most part, we always talk like elevated horror right. or, you know, yeah. movies you can show the normies. I think ultimately between Phantasm and Alien, Alien, pretty, my grandma knows Alien. You yeah. know, she knows about the Xenomorph, but not everyone is familiar with. They're both trying to say a lot, but Phantasm has a lot to say, but it's kind of like all over the place. But Alien is a very uh, subtext. It's, yeah. Mm. Well, yeah, then, no, I, I completely agree with that. It's almost like Alien is a cleaner um, delivery. It has a cleaner delivery in what it's trying to say, whereas Phantasm is... Some people will get it. Some people will love it. Other people will be like, what the fuck is going on? Like, I literally... There's a scene in Phantasm I'll never forget, and I, I love this scene because it's so fucking bonkerballs, where the tall man is walking down the street and it goes to slow-mo, and he just smells the air. And he kind of like tilts his head back. I think that's, is that Phantasm or Phantasm? Yeah, no, that's yep. Phantasm. Yep. Right. It's just this really weird, it almost looks like, you know, the the wrestler, the rock, when he's doing his whole smelling what the rock is cooking, the fucking tall man invented that in Phantasm because that is exactly what he's doing. If you smell yeah. <laughs> what the rock is cooking, boy. <laughs> it's just it's fucking like it's crazy but it's the exact same thing and that thing stands out to me because in a film of complete weirdness yeah that is even fucking weirder because there's no there's no logic to it there's no reason why he's doing it he's just yeah i'm taking a stroll sniffing the air being creepy as fuck right so good. an ice cream truck by any other name still smells as sweetly so exactly Exactly. It's yeah. Fucking. I'm gonna go and watch Phantasm again. I don't think I'm. I don't think I'm giving Phantasm a fair crack of the whip. Right. No, that scene that you're talking about is crazy good. I don't know what it is about that scene, but when I think of Phantasm, yeah. I think of the tall man walking down the hi- the aisleway for the first time, and that scene where he breathes ice cream air because it's so like. Like you said, it's creepy, it's haunting, it's unnerving, and it's all slow motion and weird. And when a, when you have a film that opens up with like somebody getting diddled turning into an old man, <laughs> and that's the opening scene, then yeah, yeah you're breathing some ice cream air. <laughs> but you know what? It, it's we... cool. It's cool what Coscarelli did. He took something that's very innocent, very childlike, like being happy about ice cream. We all love ice cream. Ice cream, <laughs> ice cream rules. man. And then he just completely makes it this really creepy thing, which is brilliant filmmaking. I mean, Coscarelli is a great filmmaker. Baba Hotep is a fucking genius piece of work. <laughs> it's absolutely fantastic. But he, the way he did it in Phantasm, like that scene stands out to me because it's this thing of, who doesn't like ice cream? Even this creepy tall motherfucker likes ice cream. <laughs> Oh my God! Well, it's it's kind of funny. I ultimately, when looking at the two films, you ha- and I was just even kind of looking aesthetic wise. Is the main antagonist are these tall, thin, 
otherworldly creatures. Yeah. The tall man and the xenomorph. And I think they're both representing various things. We can read into them. And I think ultimately when we get into kind of comparing the two, in 79 we had just, there's a lot of stuff going in crisis, turmoil, a lot of transition stuff. So One one monster looked like a penis. The other monsters looked like it just was balls balls. flying in the air. So the 70s. We have a very very solid bracket. <laughs> but I this is one of those things like I said I think Alien ultimately is a scarier film. I think there are elements in it that still to this day freak me out that whole mm-hmm. reveal where um Ash is tracking the alien. Yeah. Still top notch no. set piece. Yeah. The alien is scary as shit. I mean the whole design in it is just like just death. Well, even the the shot where uh, Lambert, uh, Veronica Cartwright, professional reactor, mm-hmm. when her character's demise is, I mean, it's it's a violation. Yeah. Because the way that the yeah. tail goes, but I mean, it is everything the way it's shot. It should make you feel skeevy, and uh-huh. it does. It does. It's it skeevy. Does. It's a skeevy kill. And there's just oh, there's in today's day and age too. I think this film plays even more on that side as well. Um, so yeah, I just like I said, I think there's a lot going on with both of these films, but unfortunately, um, even though we might be giving one a little bit of a, a rewatch here potentially, only one can move into the round of the Frightful Four, and here on the, on the podcast, on the tournament, we will show our work, and here in the round of the Hateful Eight, we have two criteria when it comes to looking to which film is going to move forward, and the first thing we're going to look at is I've put it out to you guys, is I wanted you to, we're all going to create our own definition of or kind of like a, what the aesthetic, the style that horror was in 1979. And then based on that definition, which of the two films fit the definition a little bit better? So, Tony, Genius, which one? Who would like to go first? Guest first. Guest first. All right. Tony, let's put it out there to you. Okay. Mm. <laughs> See, before we had this actual conversation, I was dead set in my mind. Like, alien, 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 alien all the way. But. You guys have both raised some really good points. And that's the good thing about having the conversation. Because yep. if, I, if I'm watching a movie by myself, I only have my opinion. And when you chat with people that are you know like-minded, you're friends with, it can turn you kind of... I am thinking about things in a different way now, but fuck Phantasm. Alien all the way. <laughs> <laughs> Bravo. Wonderful. <laughs> I always love that bait and switch. Was, I always love great. those bait and switches. Fuck that movie. That's. <laughs> I believe we call that speaking genius's language, right? There. Yeah, no, I totally. I read you loud and clear. I understand. I understand where you're coming from now. I still love Phantasm, but if you're like, fuck that movie, okay. <laughs> so, genius, what do you think there? For aesthetic wise, I think Phantasm because. When I think of when I mean, even though we've seen so many movies from the seventies, so many of this, I still can't get over what the fuckery. One thing in the seventies, it's yeah, it's brutal, it's violent, and it makes no goddamn sense, no matter what movie we're watching, right? And I think that fits the the phantasm fits the bill. It's still because in the seventies we there was space monsters movies, but it was more like let's get violent, let's get weird, let's get kind of like gross, you know. Yeah. And when you have a movie, I mean, Alien is gross with the chest bursters and it's violent with the xenomorph. But when you have terrorizing Jawas, when you have balls that drill into people's heads, when you have like people coming back from the dead, and all this like. And, and their world, their little phantasm land, looks like a '70s prog rock, right? <laughs> yeah. So, so I that's that's giving me 
the most yeah. aliens feels timeless because it's set in the future you know it yeah. can be at a different time and place and world but you're in that ice cream truck you're in that mausoleum in 1979 yeah. and so i'm gonna go for the aesthetics it's gonna be phantasm that works that works and I, I go back. I'm glad, number one, always when we get to do this, like we've said, it's good to get involved with the conversation, but also seeing films for the first time. And one of my first time watches was Tourist Trap. Mm-hmm. And there's a line in that film, I believe it's by one Yuck Connors. Yuck Connors. Um, but he mentions something along the lines that just everyone is in such a hurry nowadays. You know, he's lamenting the loss of his little side street and you've got this highway going across. So with like the transition going into the 80s, there is this sense of loss of innocence, if you will, that, you know, the 80s is going to go bigger, better. Unfortunately, we're not going to be as, you know, intimate here in the 70s. And so based on that, I do think that Phantasm fits that's a little bit better because it is a little bit more bombastic because of the what the fuckery. I don't think if you would have the splurting blood, if you wouldn't have the nightmare logic, um, I don't think if you would have the grotesqueness of Phantasm, I think Alien would fit that a little bit better. But because Phantasm is a little bit more bombastic, a little bit more weird, I am going to go ahead and give my vote to Phantasm on that. Now, that being said, the most important thing is is we're talking about these films. We're stressing our love, our indifference, 40 years from its release date. Mm-hmm. So the ultimate question, and the question I pose to both of you, is of the two films, which one are we still talking about 40 years from now? Hmm. Well, we're talking about both of them. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> if we're talking in the, the pop culture, you know, put it this way. Funko Pop action figures, you can buy a Xenomorph, you can buy a whole range of the Alien cast. As far as I know, you can't buy a Phantasm action figure. That's a shame, especially they'd be perfect sizes. <laughs> it mm-hmm. is a shame because I would love to have an Angus Grimm, you know, that I think that would be cool. I think it's probably only a matter of time before we actually do see something like that. But, I mean, Alien, definitely. But then Alien was preceded by a good, nay, great sequel in Aliens. (laughs) It didn't shit the bed until Alien 3. And it continues to shit the bed to this day. But I feel that Phantasm 2 already went in a completely different direction. Mm -hmm. And I haven't seen 3, 4, or 5, so... I'll have to rely on you guys to tell me if they're actually <laughs> worth seeing. Three, uh, three has its merits. Three's not bad. Four, four and five, and yeah, you're kind of like it's a little shitty. I'll just see Stay three the for the for the simple fact that there are nunchucks that are broken out against the balls. <laughs> so if you don't, if you know nunchucks versus balls aren't your thing, I understand. Avoid Phantasm <laughs> Three, but and the internet. Like and the internet, certain certain subsections of the internet you definitely want to go away with. No, I agree. Yeah, no, definitely, I can definitely see that there, Alien. So, Genius, what do you think? I think we're both. I mean, I think both movies are going to be talked about and discussed forty years from now. Phantasm is just what the fuck, and it has so many place in people's hearts. But Alien was such a cultural phenomenon, and so many things are going on. I think. We're going to be talking about both of them, but I think just horror people are going to be talking about Phantasm while aliens, normies, everybody else is going to be talking as well with mm. aliens. So I think for lasting yeah. power, I think aliens, alien is the is the stronger one. Plus, alien definitely yeah. has the lasting power. But mm-hmm. the thing with Phantasm is the sheer dedication yeah. it took to make that movie. Oh, yeah. That is a real story of perseverance, which I think is. 
that should be taught in film class. Like, mm-hmm. Don Coscarelli wanted to make this fucking film, so he did, and he never gave up. Mm-hmm. It took him a shitload of money and a sh- long time, but he fucking did it, which is more powerful to me than the yeah. making of Alien. However, yeah. Alien, like you said, is a pop culture thing. Yeah, and this it's difficult to because I, th- I don't want to say we're we're given we're given the easy answer because we are going to be talking about both of these films, right? But ultimately, I'm going to have to go on your guys' side as well and say Alien. And the simple fact is, I think between the two, obviously, uh, Phantasm gave us the Tall Man. Angus Grimm is an icon in the horror realm. Mm-hmm. But as you both mentioned, man, with Alien, it gave us Ripley. That gave us yep. one of the all-time great badasses in action and horror, tra- almost yeah. transcends the genre. And because of that, because, like you said, this is something that is more in the popular uh, consciousness. You know, my grandma knows Alien. She knows that there's an a- the mouth inside mouth a mouth, inside the right? Mouth. Yeah. Because of that, I think that is going to have lasting power. And I think because you do get a little bit of diversity in the franchise. Mm-hmm. And I was I, I will defend part three, even Resurrection to a point. I like three and I I'm like not, Resurrection. I'm not saying they're good movies. No, but. But I can find the merits in them. They're better than garbage. They're <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I would, I, I'll even ask you this, Genius, what would you rather watch, the Alien franchise or the Phantasm franchise? Who did the Alien franchise? Okay. The Alien franchise. Even though both, okay, even though both franchises later on you get diminishing returns, um, I, I can still see Aliens, I'll watch Aliens all day, every day, and yeah. and even like Alien 3, um, but if you say, hey, you want to watch Alien Resurrection or Phantasm 4, I'm almost like Alien Resurrection. So <laughs> for the weird nose. But uh, yeah, no, I think it's I, I, I think Alien is the one. Well, and I, we would be remiss here if we didn't talk about the Jerry Gold, Goldsmith score from Alien, which in an, and let me ask you this, Tony, which one would you the theme wise, not overall score, but if you were to look at the main themes from Phantasm and Alien, which one do you think is a little bit more iconic? Oh, fantastic. Okay, yeah. It's, it's yeah. It, And it's funny because I think the Alien is the better overall score, but I agree. Phantasm just has that instantly. <laughs> it, it's very creepy and memorable. You know, piano, solo piano melodies tend to stick out, and the actual theme from Alien was not written as the theme from Alien. Yeah. It was written as a, it was a different piece, and then Ridley Scott liked it so much he used it as the theme. So it wasn't the piece that Jerry had written for the theme. So I think like, I, I don't know about you guys, but I have the, um, I'm actually looking at it now. The Mondo four LP box set of the alien oh. school. They Ooh. did a couple of years back, which is the score as it was released, the expanded version. And then there's some unused cues. It's a fantastic set. Ultimately though, you don't really need all the extra stuff. <laughs> It's the, the regular album is pretty much hits all the high spots. Phantasm, I can listen to that score all day, every day, and twice on Sunday, and it never gets dull, never gets boring, and is just a tremendous listen from start to finish. And I like the fact that they included the little jam session between Jody yeah. and Reggie, which is any yeah. well. And then we didn't even talk much about Reggie. You're talking about how the Alien franchise gave us Ripley. Phantasm franchise gave us Reggie. So, like, <laughs> this is a place for balding middle-aged men, ice cream selling, their young wards, and balls. 
And well, you know what? And as as tough as it was to kind of figure out which one deserves to go into the round of the Frightful Four, both are definitely deserving. Mm-hmm. But as it is, apparently in the round of the Frightful Four, no one can hear you scream. Phantasm played a good game, boy. <laughs> but unfortunately, Phantasm goes the byway, and Alien is our first entrance into the round of the Frightful Four. Holy smokes! Yeah, that was quite. A little bracket there for yeah, 79. It yeah, it was. Not, It didn't go where I thought it was going to go at first, yeah. but like, yeah. And well, and that's the beauty of playing the tournament. And more importantly, when we get to engage with, you know, some of our all-time favorite people and podcasters, and Tony, you are definitely one of them. Thank you so much, man, for taking the time to do this. This was, this is always mm-hmm. and always, was always a blast. Happy to. I'm happy to come and curse all over someone else's <laughs> podcast any, any day of the week. So, oh no, my it's, it's always fun talking to you guys because it's completely outside the realm of what I normally do. Mm-hmm. Um, I never really talk about movies. I always talk about scores. <laughs> so talking about films and I love the Alien franchise. You know, I do. I do like Alien 3. There are parts about it that are fantastic. I just, you know, I know what could have been through watching documentaries oh, yeah. and reading mm-hmm. bits oh, yeah. and pieces. And it's like, oh, yeah, that would have been cool. Um, yeah. So but no, I mean always fun always happy to take part it is appreciated and again where can our listeners find you out on the interwebs um you can find us on twitter instagram and facebook at damn fine network excellent excellent so what films are going to be joining alien in the round of the frightful four you're just going to have to continue to listen the entirety mm-hmm. of march and in next monday's episode First round of '89, Ooh. which oh boy, we got oh some boy. we got some interesting ones in there. So until that time, this is Greg D. I'm Genius McGee, and we will see you in your dreams.